This is the Odd Numbers Podcast with me, Jack Six. Throughout this series, I'm digging into the journeys of some key players in the music industry, from artists and creatives to managers and lawyers. I'll be getting their tips on making it in the industry, finding out what they predict for the future of music, and hearing what tracks and artists have had an impact on their careers so far. Today, I'm speaking with Rada Mida, who is an A&R artist manager and business owner. She's currently managing Mahalia and Tiffany Calver and co-managing FKA Twigs and has had a hand in the careers of the likes of Skepta, Mabel and more. In this hour-long conversation, we spoke about her journey into the industry from studying audio engineering to working for the likes of Atlantic and Asylum and touched on finding balance or not finding balance, artist development, TikTok and a whole lot of music which you can find on the Odd Numbers Spotify account. punctuate conversation with like music that you either like or have been impacted by so you said just then before you moved to London to study um, engineering music engineering you there was always music in the house what sort of stuff was the family listening to well my mum is from Trinidad so there was always soca calypso my dad loves ska music reggae also like a big fan of like Motown, Oates Redding, Marvin Gaye, like all of that stuff. Um, but I think when I, and my older sister, she was a, she's seven years older than me. She's a massive 90s R&B fan. Um, and I was heavily influenced by her <clears throat> and by that music. And my brother was really into hip hop. So I think I had a good, um, I had a kind of, I was surrounded by people that had great taste in music so naturally when I kind of got to an age when I could decide what I wanted to listen to it was 90s R&B but but I also used to go through my dad's CDs and like listen to Otis Redding and like listen to the lyrics and stuff like that and um and yeah just always used to my sister would like go to Woolworths and get like a CD and I would like just be reading like the label copy and like and then when I got a bit older I remember just um, obviously being exposed to like the box TV and VH1 and MTV and all of those channels and the kind of like uh, I guess you'd call it like the Max Martin boom of like Britney Spears and seeing Christina Aguilera like all all of those kind of um, like artists I have definitely a soft spot for pop music, you know, um, all the kind of, all the classics, obviously Spice Girls, Sugar Babes, All Saints, you know, even Bewitched, <laughs> I was a fan of. So, so yeah, my, my, I feel like there's, there's incredible music in every genre, you know, and um, I never really closed myself off to anything. Mm. I was always so open to hearing. It was just really what kind of tickled my ear and I would lean into that, so yeah. Cool. Um, do you remember like one of the first albums or um, kind of records that you picked up when you were younger that you chose for yourself? Because you've, you've referenced there like your sister, your parents and whatnot, but yeah, what, what about you? Um, the first vinyl I bought was, and it's actually really random because it wasn't a, it wasn't a new song, it was a, it was a, it's a group called Guy that Teddy Riley formed from Blackstreet, um, who were a 90s R&B band, but it was, a, it was a song called Her, and it was a vinyl, and I don't know why I was so drawn to that record, but even now when I listen to it, it like the production is incredible for the time. And even, I mean, it still, it still sounds great now, to be fair. Um, so yeah, I think that was the first vinyl that I bought, but I think... I think the first CD that I bought, actually, got to think of it, was, um, do you remember, I'm not sure how old you are, but do you remember The Big Breakfast? 
on Channel I 4. I am 23, but so you're absolutely a, a weird one. I also <laughs> didn't have TV till I was like 15. Right, right, right. So I like have missed out on a massive lump of like cultural understanding, which is... Okay, so... <laughs> you're going to have to educate in me. In the yeah. 90s, there was this Channel 4 breakfast program called The Big Breakfast, and it was had various hosts over the years, but it was... Um, for, for There was a time where it was hosted by... Denise Van Outen and Johnny Vaughan and they did they did a charity single for children in need and they covered Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan especially for you and I think that was the first CD that I bought <laughs> it's quite embarrassing actually Not even. <laughs> but, but yeah that, I think I think that was the first CD that I bought but I always remember loving the original because I loved the chords and like the chord changes were so beautiful. It's so cool that you like, now you're in the management side of things, but you have that really deep understanding of the actual music, which I think like a lot, of, I definitely don't have that and I kind of wish I did, but um, it's like a love for it, but not like a, a more analytical understanding of it. Yeah. Do you I, think that's yeah. had a big effect on your, I, I, we will go back and work out your, your kind of route in, but do you think just on a broad, in broad terms that that's had a big impact on the way that you've navigated yeah absolutely I think um, I think if I didn't study audio engineering I wouldn't be able to have the kind of professional confidence that I have when talking to producers and even when it comes to me pushing a like pushing a point or an opinion across and of course not to say that my opinion's always gospel but it's sometimes like you know, it's important to have an opinion, but if you're kind of just talking off the back of not really having experience, I think it might be more, I, I don't know, I just feel like that would make me feel a little bit insecure, but because I'm talking from a place of knowledge, mm-hmm. um, it just, it really helps. And I think producers let their guard down or mix engineers let their guard down. And, but you know, it's always, it's all in the approach and, I'm definitely not the type type of A&R to just give an opinion because, you know, I'm, a, I'm an A&R. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I guess then they know that you're more... It's, it is music-focused, not like looking at the commercial viability of, you know, you're not just seeing it from like a, a bank standpoint, which I think... Yeah, no, it's, it's, from a, it's, a, it's from a musical standpoint and what's best. And obviously, there, there's definitely part of me that goes off of a feeling. But, you know, if I hear a demo, then I hear a different version and the demo feels better, then I'm going to flag all the reasons why I think cool. so, you know. Cool. So you moved to London to study, but on message, like you said about live, like for some reason being down in, was it Worthing you said? Like yeah, what? yeah. So Explain basically, that story to me. so I studied to uh, I studied at SAE, which is the School of Audio Engineering, and that's what I moved to London for. And at the time, it was in Caledonian Road. Um, and then when I graduated, I was very much of the thinking, I do not want to be a sound engineer. <laughs> so, kind of like, what you know, what am I going to do? And my parents, you know, they don't, they they're, they're immigrants. They don't. Um, you know, have loads of money and da da da. So I kind of got stuck in this uh, working to live environment. Mm. So I found myself knowing that I didn't want to move back to Birmingham after I studied, but desperately trying to find work experiences, trying to get my foot in the door. But, you know, bearing in mind I'm this kid from Birmingham, doesn't know anyone. And then I started working in retail just to pay the bills. And then I remember just kind of being like, what? am I doing here? And my mum was kind of <laughs> pressuring me, like, what are you doing in London? You're just, like, working in shops. You can, why don't you, you can do that anywhere kind of thing. Um, and and uh, I remember just going online, trying to find these courses. And um, there was, there's a college in uh, Worthing called Northbrook College, do you know, know it? Well, yeah, yeah, I do go there. So yeah, and they had um, a music business and management course, <clears throat> and uh, and actually, I think I signed up to do the production course, but then I think when I got there, I realised there was a music business management course, and that was something that I was like, oh, this this feels like a you know something that I think I'm more interested in, and um, and that 
is why I had to then travel to commute to Worthing. Like, sorry, so you were moving? You were I was living in from London, London to, to Worthing. Worthing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah. funny to me. Because <laughs> yeah. my thing's always been the other way around. Oh really? Yeah. yeah so I was commu- and it, the course was only three days a week, so it was fine. Yeah. And like um, my parents bought me a, like a little car just to like a, you know a little run around and uh, that helped me like so much kind of getting back and forth and stuff yeah. and then I just um, I just kind of I don't know that I found the course like such a breeze and quite easy because it, I remember just thinking this is just a lot of it is just common sense and using your brain and. You know, I remember one part of the course was having to route a tour and obviously I did it with my eyes closed because I, w- I had done little bits of work experience here and there. Like I'd done, I worked at One Little Indian for like, I don't know how long I was there for, a few months, but just kind of learning about the back end and like PPL and PRS and you know, registering metadata and ISRC codes and that's, um, yeah, and at the time they were re-releasing Bjork's back catalogue, so on on heavy duty vinyl, so I remember being kind of like very much behind the scenes and like learning and seeing how things work there, so um, yeah, I did that and then I also worked at a company that... um, is na- it, you, it's it's no more, but it's it used to be run or it was founded by the guy who know, now owns Dice or the CEO of Dice, Phil Hutchin. So he had a company called Deadly People, and it was an events record label um, and management company. <clears throat> so I was the intern there, and then. Um, how did you get those first two little bits of work experience? I feel like that's something that. So, like, so my work experience at One Little Indian, I applied for that online. I used to go onto like those websites like musicjobs.com and stuff like that because honestly, I had no, I didn't know anyone, and I was just so desperate to get into music, and I just knew, I knew that it that it was what I wanted to do. Um, and then I remember going. And then kind of working in retail and getting stuck in that work to live, that's where I made a lot of my friends. And then I would, um, it was just through like networking. I remember ending up at this gig for this Portuguese band called Bracasom Sistema and then meeting someone there. And she was like, hey, we're looking for someone. And then I met her the next day with my CV. And it was just, it's just like networking. Um, That's a common theme in these conversations. do you think it's overstated the role of networking or do you think it really is as integral as as people make out i think it's integral because I, I think that there's only so much you can do i mean you can do much more remotely than you could probably 10 or 15 years ago but if you're not in front of people and like going to events and just be, you, you kind of just need to be out and be social you know like people it's kind of a bit mad but I'm sure when people are applying for jobs or well no if I when I've looked for staff in the past I've always gone on their Instagram because their Instagram is basically their CV now you know it's like who do they follow who follows them who what are they doing what are they posting you know um but yeah no I think it is integral because if you're not out networking then you know your peers are do you know what I mean they're going to get the opportunity rather than you're sat at home kind of it's a people business I guess isn't it yeah it really is and you want to for me anyway I want to be able to like kind of uh, feel someone's energy and like know if they're like a good person or not and like I think that you can figure that out quite quickly if you're in someone's presence rather than being stuck behind a laptop screen does that make sense no it does yeah it does Cool, so we haven't even got on to your, what, so what, you've been, what you've been working on yet, or like what, you know. So, you currently manage Mahalia. Yes, I manage Mahalia. I manage and Tiffany Calver. And I've recently started working with FKA Twigs. Cool. With Mark Gillespie and Sophie Bloggs. Cool. Um, it's a good little roster, that. 
Yeah, it is. And, you know, I'm so fortunate to have worked with so many incredible artists over the years. And, you know, I, I used to, I interned at Light Virgin EMI, and then I was the intern at Atlantic. And then they gave me a consultancy and ended up staying there for like five years. And then I left to manage Skepta. And then I also <laughs> managed Mabel for six years as well. So been I've, very busy. I've been very busy, but I've been very blessed and very fortunate. But um, but but yeah, I uh, it definitely wasn't easy. It mm. probably took about ten years to get my first break. Yeah, your Instagram bio says like just the highlights or something. So should we talk about some of the obstacles? And by doing so, hopefully we can talk about those internships and whatnot. What? So did you start off? A and R interning or yeah. marketing or, or yeah A and R okay yeah I always knew that I wanted to work in A and R um, and do you know what I think the obstacles that I found was people trying to take me seriously um, and I think that oh sorry trying to find people that took me seriously and but also my because I hadn't. Um, had any success obviously as a young kid the professional you 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 instantly lack professional confidence so Mm -hmm. there was always a hesitance from me to kind of like you know speak to the boss or like Mm -hmm. you know and and I think that uh I think that really um I don't know I just I think I don't know how to articulate it, but I think that my approach when I'm talking to like young people now or like the staff that I have, everyone is on the same level. They know that obviously like I'm kind of, it's my company, but I treat everyone the same because for me, my two staff are the next generation of execs. And I remember being so young and not having anyone that really empowered me or really that kind of said like you you can be you know the first person that told me that I could be an exec was Max Musada and that was when I left Atlantic and uh, I, I remember just like thinking it was so weird but now looking back like it's I've kind of carried that with me um, and kind of like ingrain that into the two staff that I have but I think that the because I didn't really have that I think that played a part in my kind of confidence at the time and like you know everyone's busy and everyone's kind of got their job and stuff but I think it's so important for execs to really give the time to the next generation of execs and just lift them up because it makes all the difference Mm. I don't know if that answered the question. I think that does, yeah. <laughs> Does it? Yeah. You went from A&R interning. What was your first, so you, and then you did that consultancy role. What sort of projects were you working on when you were so I, I was consulting for Asylum Records. So I worked underneath Ben Cook and Ed Howard, who... Um, you know they're amazing very good to me over the years and you know it was th- those were the two that gave me my first job and um, and yeah they, they taught me a lot to be honest and I um, worked across Charlie XEX um, Ed Sheeran Anne-Marie um, Mahalia that's where I first met Mahalia but it was very much on like a kind of intern level, like I yeah. would commission the remixes okay. and, you know, and then, you know, I would always be on hand if they kind of needed anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to be honest, actually, the empowerment thing, Ben and Ed actually did empower me very much so because they really allowed me into their space yeah. to listen and you know Ben would kind of an album would come out and Ben would be like what do you think the singles are and you know I'd sit in on mixes and like yeah and and um so that that definitely helped um yeah those yeah those two definitely played a big part in 
me getting my foot in the door for sure so you said you met Mahalia then did you see anything in her that you thought did you ever think you'd be more involved than than on that level or or was it just too far away for you to no it was it was it was too too definitely too far away I knew that she was incredibly talented and everyone was raving about her and I think I must have started Asylum quite soon after she had signed. She was only 14. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, insane. Um, and she, yeah, she just was, is super gifted and like just had a, the songs that she was writing for someone of her age were just, it was, you know, insane. You never really, you don't, you don't really find that. Mm. And I think, you know, to Atlantic Asylum's testament, um, that's she's been signed for over 10 years do you know what I mean and they're still we're still working really hard to elevate and break her Mm -hmm. and I think it's nice that we still have you know uh, you know um, execs that want to take the time to break an artist because it doesn't happen overnight you know Um, but no I didn't think I'd be as as involved but Ed had called me about like a few years later after having like Skepta success and Mabel success to come back in to help with the A&R yeah. and then about a year after that Mahalia asked me to manage her so I've had so, a bit of a full circle moment yeah. which is which is great but yeah she's great to work with how do you um, how do you maintain that sort of close relationship when obviously I imagine she's away a lot and you're away a lot you know how do yeah. you look after and nurture that that sort of relationship with the client I always make sure the people that I work with have the space to talk freely and and you know kind of be honest about how they feel but also it's about setting them up and making sure that they are happy um and I'm I'm in constant contact with the people that I work with like every single day and it might not be on a kind of direct level about absolutely everything but you know we've got whatsapp groups set up and I'm in every whatsapp group so I can chip in I know what's going on and then my two staff Holly and Rich always fill me in so and Mahalia knows she can come and talk to me about anything like you know Twigs knows Tiffany they they all know but I think that there's it's very much a family affair so there's no you know like there's no hierarchy there's no you know they're like family so it's very very natural and organic and also they're just nice I only want to work with nice people so you know it makes makes the job so much easier how do you maintain some semblance of balance in your own life or or do you not you know I I want to talk about this with everyone really because I think it's yeah I think work life do you mean like work life balance yeah work life balance is so important and I think I've definitely had periods where I've ran myself into the ground, but I think that you are your team and there's definitely no I in team. And for me, the big thing was about delegating and being able to trust the people around me to actually do the job. And I'm lucky to have two incredible staff that I trust and they take like such a load off of me and we have a really good working rhythm as well um and i think that's because of my way of working like i'm really kind of transparent and like take the time to know exactly what everyone's doing and what everyone's working on it does anyone need any help and you know stuff like that so it's all it's all really really fluid but i think communication is so key and over communicating and giving people the space to like speak rather than not because I know what it's like to be the intern and being afraid to speak up because you know you don't want to ask the wrong question and stuff like that but you know the only wrong question is the one you don't ask I think cool um so you dropped in the fact that you worked with Skepta that's obviously pretty mega um are there any kind of standout moments from that time um, I think probably his shutdown part, um, the event that he did in the car park. Wasn't that just down? That was just around the corner, yeah. yeah. Um, where it all just kind of happened really quickly and 
myself and Grace didn't really know what we were doing, to be honest. But I think that was probably a standout moment. Him winning the Mercury was a standout moment. Yeah. yeah. And um, just to be honest, I, I was really grateful to be a part of that journey of, at, at that time because I was still very much trying to find my feet um, and I was just really grateful for the opportunity to, you know, to work with him and work closely with everyone. And, um, and, and, and that's to, that, to be honest, is where I started to gain my professional confidence because I was attached to something and played a part in something being a success. Yeah. And, um, I think for, I think I needed the put, because before that I was at Atlantic for five years and I think I needed the push and the detachment of that to go out, to, to kind of go at it alone and really make it work because when you're doing it by yourself you have to make it work yeah. so um, so yeah I think those those moments were and what about with Mahalia so that's obviously still ongoing like there was a Grammy nom was there yeah she was nominated for a Grammy which does that feel like a crazy moment to you or have you kind of or do you are you quite moderate about how you react to them like massive moments from the outside um I think that it really I think it really depends like she was so I was um when she was nominated for that Grammy for Jacob Collier she was managed by someone else previously mm-hmm. and then so I didn't really feel like I could celebrate that okay. and I think it's really important as a manager you know when you're you, it's so important to be respectful and I, I think that that was that was their win that was Ben's win yeah. kind of thing and then I think for example if Mahalia was nominated for something on the next album that we've worked on together from start to finish, that's when I'll celebrate it, okay. you know? Okay. Um, yeah, but you know, she she supported Adele this year, which was incredible. Crazy. And as soon as I saw the, the Adele show go up, I just called the agent. Yeah. And I was like, please give Mahalia support kind of thing. And it took a while, a lot of back and forth, but... Um, yeah, that was a brilliant moment. Yeah, how do you celebrate your win? So you won um, Businesswoman of the Year in yeah. 2018. Uh, was that, 2019, that right? 2019, okay, yeah. the Women in Music Awards. Yeah. How do you kind of celebrate those things? Do you call call up the family or do you like meet up? For, like, you know, how do you, do you know embrace what? it? I actually went through a phase of not really celebrating stuff for like a while because I was so busy and it was just like, it's not about me, just next. Like, And then... Um, I just do things with my friends and family, you know, and sorry, I don't really like, I don't really love, I don't like attention. Yeah. I think that's why I work behind the scenes. But what I've learned as I've gotten older is that it's important to celebrate the wins and acknowledge the losses or whatever you want to call it, you know, but um, honestly, I don't make a big deal out of it. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Yeah, I don't... Uh, I, it sounds really cliche, but I didn't get into this to celebrate myself. Okay. I, I, you know, wanted to help other people and lift other people up kind of thing. And of course, it's nice to be acknowledged in the process, but um, I don't know. I think I find it borderline uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. As far as I'd like to chat about artist development a bit because you touched briefly on it that you you know it's quite rare to put so much time and effort into an artist nowadays. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the current state of affairs? Because there seems to be like lots of conversations around oversaturation, artists not breaking, big artists not performing as well as they should, or, or as well as they were expected to do or predicted to do. Yeah, what are your kind of thoughts on on that whole debate right now? I mean, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it, really? And it is true, and I think it is a problem. Um, And I don't really know how to kind of solve... I don't really have the answer to that kind of issue, but it's, um, it's a bit of a vicious cycle. I think, obviously, the birth of TikTok has completely, like, transformed everything... 
and it's uh, yeah I don't really it's a, it's a difficult one because you know you have artists like Mahalia who's been kind of going for 10 years you know plays all the instruments writes her own songs yeah. like has had success on some level but then you have someone that's kind of you know got loads of TikTok followers yeah. and then puts out a sound and then it kind of like goes through the roof yeah. and, but you know those kinds of artists, TikTok, like new TikTok artists, they haven't been exposed to the industry and what it is like. And it is savage and it can chew you up and it can spit you out. Whereas, you know, you've got someone like Mahalia who can, who's been doing this for like 10 years. And I can probably, you know, I can put her on the road in America for 24 shows and yeah. she doesn't complain once because mm-hmm. she's used to it. And she understands like how to navigate through this industry where it's kind of you know unfair when you have an someone on tiktok that just puts on puts out a song has no intention for it to be as big as it is and then they've got all these labels chasing after them they sign a you know a a really competitive deal and it's all great at the time and the song is bubbling and goes to number one or whatever but then when that dies down you know the question is can you do that again Mm -hmm. And then the pressure's added, but then, you know, there's definitely a lack of support for artists in the kind of mental health space. And I think it's a conversation that's happening more and more, which is great. But, you know, there's there's been a lot of artists that have spoken up recently as, as, because they've been kind of victim to that scenario. And, you know, but, you know, equally, you've got labels that need to generate revenue and stuff like that. And then you've got A&Rs that need to keep a job. And, you know, there's just a vicious cycle. Mm. So I don't know the answer to it. And I think TikTok is a brilliant platform. It's really fun. There's, it's It's got, you know, there's not as much kind of pressure to be perfect. Whereas I think Instagram and my generation it was all about looking perfect and mm. now TikTok and Gen Z is all about talking about your feelings yeah. and you know and you don't have good days and stuff and, and I think that's I think that's brilliant yeah but I think it's a bit of a gift and a curse um, yeah as far as TikTok's concerned do you think that um, the majors are spending too much time or not enough time on like scouting artists via that like if you were to go back if you were to be Starting out now, would you be investing a lot of time in TikTok or would you still be out scouting at gigs and whatnot? You know, how I'd, would you Honestly, I'd, I'd be doing both. I'd be casting that net because yeah. if I was an A&R, I would be in the mindset of, I need to, I need to sign something. I need to find something. And it's, a, it's quite, uh, it's, it's quite a, it's quite pressure. It's, it's quite a high pressure thing, especially if you're, kind of peers in the building are signing stuff you need to be you know kind of in the same spaces as them and and you're I would be at a disadvantage if I wasn't on TikTok because yeah. all the other A&Rs are on TikTok and you know and then when there's a hit and then the president is asking you why didn't you spot that mm-hmm. oh because it was on TikTok you know yeah. so yeah I would I would absolutely be on TikTok but I would also be on the ground as well. I would be doing what everyone, all the other ANRs are doing because because that would be my job, you know? Is there any advice that you would give to young people starting out now that ask, you think would have helped you? Do you see what I mean? Don't be afraid to ask any questions. That's, I literally say that to everyone because, again, the only wrong question is the one you don't ask. And it's so... It, it's more, um, it might feel more natural to assume and agree and pretend like you know what you're doing, but like in the long run, it doesn't help. So just just ask and also just be nice and don't treat everyone the same kind of thing, yeah. Have you changed as a person? Like how has the how has the industry changed you? Because you're saying that like, you know, carry on being nice, keep asking questions, whatnot, but it seems like people do can get kind of tarnished by certain things. You know, how have you changed from when you started out to now, do you think? What's what's been part of the formula to you being more successful? 
Um, I don't know. That, I think the only the only way I've really changed is just kind of gaining a confidence because of having success. But in terms of the person and who I am, I'm exactly the same. And I think it's really down to how I was raised. My parents have really strong morals mm. in terms of like, everyone is equal, you treat people the same, blah, 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 you know? So I've carried that with me and, and yeah, I think the only reason why I've changed just because I've grown and I've matured as a woman, but there's not really anything else. I don't know, maybe ask a few other people there. <laughs> Their answer might be different, I don't know. We'll be able to compare. <laughs> yeah. um, you used to DJ, right? Or do you still DJ ever? Do you know what? I I have a setup at home and I randomly DJed for Janet Jackson a few weeks ago. What? She did a thing at Shoreditch House. How did that come about? One of my friends, she knows that I'm a massive 90s R&B fan. So I used to DJ at this club night called Work It. And uh, she, yeah, does does some events and she was like, Janet Jackson's doing a screening and she's going to be there. They're going to do a party. Tony Touch is DJing. Do you want to DJ? And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. So I literally, I, um, yeah, I don't DJ all, I'll DJ at like friends' birthdays and stuff. And if a friend like asked me to play, then I'd play. Because okay. I've got a setup at home. I've got like 2000s at home. So I've. I can practice yeah. now, whereas before I didn't have a setup, so I kind of like lost my confidence a bit when it came to like DJing and stuff. But no, I love DJing, that's my happy place. If you could curate a lineup of three other DJs who you could play with, like who, who would you choose? Uh, that is a really good question. I mean, it depends what kind of vibe I was going for, but. Let's say your own birthday, like, you, you know, something that you got to choose, My whatever. My own birthday. Okay, I would probably say, well, I would definitely say Martello. That's my, that's my favourite DJ. And then uh, I would say Patrick Topping, because I love Patrick Topping. Oh. And um, who else do I love? I don't know... Who else do I love? Oh, Cole Cox, hello. <laughs> yeah, Cole Cox, absolutely. What sort of routines and like habits do you have to kind of stay on top and stay organized so that it doesn't all get on top of you? Um, I exercise a lot. Because yeah, you run, right? I, I run, run yeah, I run and I do a lot of hit training. So I do that like three times a week. Um, and then I have really learned to delegate, like I was saying before, mm. and just relinquish the control. Because also, I think when you're teaching the next generation of execs, you have to give them you know, responsibilities and control and give them the space to make mistakes so then they can rectify and grow. And I think that um, being able to relinquish that control just allowed me to like, not feel like I'm drowning, you know? Whereas before I think I was, it took a while to like not micromanage, you know? And I think, but I think that's all a part of learning and growing as, you know, a business owner and, mm. you know, a director of a company or whatever, you know. Um, but yeah, and communicating as well. And like, just, I think, yeah, I can see the difference in my staff because I've empowered them to just, you know, do their own thing. Now you've had experience of like running your own, you know, steering your own ship as it were. Yeah. Do you think you would go back to working for a major exclusively or do you think that now you've had you know I know you can't write anything off but like do you want to carry on with with this you know your own business yeah definitely I think I'm I'm really good with people and I love working with people and I would never say never but I'm really I've been doing this for a while and I really enjoy it and um, but you know I also love that part of my job 
kind of means that I still get to work with the labels, you know, but the shoe's kind of on the other foot a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I mean, A and R Mahalia as well, so I kind of I'm kind of in the building, but not in the building as well. But um, I don't know. Never say never. Mm. I'd like to run a label one day. Cool. Yeah, because then you know you 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 still kind of kind of managing as well. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. I've chatted to a few people about this, but I do want to know um, how you feel about like the insistence on independence at the moment. You know, it seems like there's a wave of artists coming through who are like, just want to stay independent, perhaps because of a certain narrative or because that is right for them. What are your kind of thoughts on, on that? Because obviously you've been in the major label landscape, but you've also worked on independent projects. Like, I think that... If it works for you, then do it. And, you know, someone like a, a Skepta or a Stormzy or, yeah. a, you know, I think if you have the fan base and if you have that support and that loyalty, you can absolutely go independent, you know. But if you're starting off and you don't and you need support, then, you know, labels, they don't work for everyone, but they do work for some. So I think it just depends on you know what the proposition is but I don't think there's definitely this narrative of like you know F the label F yeah. the majors yeah, all yeah, of yeah. that and if, I think you know if you have it, it it really I think it depend. it just depends on the proposition you know I think if you have a if you have an artist or a group that's signed by a a major but then there's like a kind of disagreement in the direction and then it's not a success and then it, like it it's I think it's uh, yeah I don't know I think if it works for you then it's fine but it doesn't work for everyone and that's fine as well but I don't think I think you can you can sign to a major and have loads of success yeah but, you know, the problems always come if you're signed to a major and you don't have a success because your job is to generate revenue for that company. For them, yeah. Yeah, but if you're, um, if you are generating revenue, happy days, it's all good. But when you're not, you know, but whereas if you're independent, the reach might not be as much because, you know, for whatever reason, like the... the you know, if I'm self-releasing, I don't have the relationships in the supermarkets that are selling the CDs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. a major would. Um, and I don't have the relationships, you know, on a global level in terms of distribution. But, but yeah, I think... Um, but, you know, some, some, some uh, artists that are independent, they're still distributed by a major distribution. Uh, sorry, major distributor. Yeah. So, you know, they're... Yeah, I think there's a lot of like... It's a bit of a loophole there. Yeah, and a lot of like a facade. <laughs> Smoke and mirrors. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, you know, they still retain their masters, so I, they are independent to a degree, yeah. but they're still being distributed by the same people that are distributing, like, you know, Ed Sheeran, whatever, mm -hmm. so... Is there anything that you are not enjoying about the industry at the moment, you know, in, in 2022, 2023, um, that you that you used to, you know, are, are there any like negative changes that you've, that you've seen that you're not loving right now? I think it's the thing that we touched on before about just the kind of turnover of, you know, hits and the way people, the way artists are being discovered, you know, slash possibly exploited to a certain degree yeah. by labels. But, you know, again, it's that vicious cycle and, you know, um, I find that, quite sad because it really does affect you know artists mental health and yeah that's probably one thing but you know in the same breath I think TikTok's a brilliant app you know it's there's, there's definitely some good um that's come from it but I think I think that I would like to see more protection for artists you know um yeah 
are you having to kind of change your thinking around like release strategy with the artists that you're working with now as a result of the fact that things are blown up on TikTok and whatnot? Because I, and I've mentioned this before, but I went and saw a talk by Elijah yeah. and he was saying how like, or he was asking the question, is the EP release strategy the, the, the right way nowadays and the album release strategy the right way? I know people are waterfalling and whatnot, but like, are you having to readjust the way that you drop music? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, back in the day it was like single one, single two, album. I don't think it's that anymore. I think the waterfalling method is very, very... Um, I think it makes sense for now. One, because that's what everyone else is doing and you kind of like, if you've got to be in the game, you got to be on the pitch if you want to play the game. Yeah. Um, and I think that... Um, because we are fed so much information like on a daily basis it's like if you're not if you've got an artist or a group of artists or whatever that are bombarding their demographic with their release you kind of have to do the same thing yeah, yeah. so like yeah we've definitely had to re-strategize in terms of how we drop music for mm -hmm. sure um and of course like you know lean into the influencer thing and lean into TikTok and stuff like that. Um, Content first. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, it's just about moving with the times as well and there's no problem, there's no harm in doing that. Cool, I'm going to ask you some like quick fire questions if that's right. They're not that quick fire, but yeah. a little bit. What do you picture for your retirement? What do I picture for my retirement? Being somewhere, being in a hot country, surrounded by grandchildren. Cute. Where would you move tomorrow if you could move anywhere? Do you know what? Probably New York. Is it? If I, if I'm still if I was still working New York, and if I wasn't working, it would be somewhere in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. um, what are three artists that you're enjoying right now, new or old? I'm loving the Division album. They released an album last week. Um, I'm loving all of Mahalia's new music. <laughs> We're just putting the album together now. But it's honestly so stunning. Um, and who else? I mean, I've not stopped listening to Renaissance, Beyonce. I, I yeah, think it's a brilliant body of work. And I didn't like it initially. And it's it's just like a DJ set, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's, it's amazing. There's a crowd pleaser in, in the office that I work in. That's for sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. If I ever run out of things to play, I'm like straight Yeah, yeah, I'd be able to say, yeah. Um, what's the most mundane item that's improved your life? Some people have said like AirPods, or my one would be, I've got this like heat, this is so dumb, I've got this like heated clothes horse or whatever you Oh my it. God, that, that, yeah. I bought one, I literally bought one the other day. I bought one the other day good, because, because when, now that it's a bit colder, it doesn't, stuff doesn't dry no, in the house. It no. just stays like forever damp. Yeah. So I bought one from Argos. Yeah. Argos. That, that's so mundane, but yeah. Honestly, I get like too much enjoyment from shoving that on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> Heat clothes horse, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that oh, actually. I hate myself. I'm 23 and that's what's making me happy right now. <laughs> um, where do you learn about the world? Like what platform, newspaper, website, etc. God, I try to stay away from learning about the world because it's terrifying right now. Yeah. Um, do you know what? TikTok. Mm. <laughs> Get a lot of info from TikTok. And yeah. uh, just, do you know what? My WhatsApp groups, just people sending me stuff. Honestly, I, I don't know if this is really bad, but I try not to look at the news because it is, it is really depressing yeah, right now. Is. And um, yeah, so I... It's can put usually, you in an existential crisis pretty quick. Like, yeah, right, yeah, absolutely. Like, and I think um, with you know trying to navigate through life is already quite difficult. Mm -hmm. So trying to carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders after going through the BBC News app yeah. is just not something that I really like to do. <laughs> so it's usually through WhatsApp groups and people sending me li links. If you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, famous or not, who would it be? Hmm. Probably Princess Diana. Wow, why? Because I think she's a remarkable woman. Sick. Yeah, and uh, 
don't know, this is really cringe, but I, she, growing up, I was obviously very young when all of the stuff happened, when she passed away and stuff, mm. but the stuff that she went through previously with Prince Charles and stuff, she went through so much hurt and pain and it was, it, it very much was her by herself, yeah. isolated. In the public eye as well. So, yeah, so I think I would just want to be a friend to her. What's your screen time? My screen time? Yeah. Oh, how do I get that up? Do I just... Go on settings and then, and then search it, I guess. Mine's nasty, I hate it. Screen time. Daily average, four hours wow. and... Uh, five hours and 21 minutes. That's not too bad, is Down it? Down 54%. Nice. I don't really... I don't really... Um... I imagine your laptop screen time's a bit more than that, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. But do you know what? I I love being in the office. I can talk to people. Because yeah. I... It's... I'm kind of like behind everything, but the guys are actioning things, okay. you know, because I, I, I prefer it to be that way. And I don't work as much as like, I obviously work hard and I work a lot, but if I feel like taking an afternoon off, I'm going to take it off. If I don't feel like going into the office, I'm not going into the office. Cool. I don't, the way of working has changed now. And it's like, I always say to Holly and Rich, my two staff, like, as long as you're doing the job and you get it done, I don't care where you are, respectfully, obviously, yeah. in a nice way. Yeah. But, like, it's not like you need them to be in the office for 10 and they can leave at 6. It's like, they can just do what they want, you know? And yeah. How did the pandemic affect your kind of operations? Do you it's know what? It's boring to talk no, about, no, no, but I think it, it's, it's interesting. Not. It, actually, it, it actually didn't, because I have a company and I have an office, I came into work pretty much all the time and it it did I, I worked throughout the whole pandemic I didn't I didn't really obviously we, there, were, there was no sorry live but in 2020 Mabel was writing her record so I managed to get to LA I got us to LA and we did a residential in the UK and there was a few brand commitments and like yeah, I, I I worked. It didn't really affect me. Um, and I'm really grateful that I can say that. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. No, I know, you, I know you. you're busy. It's been thank good. Thank you. Sorry it's taking so long. Eventually. To... You're busy. That was like, if you weren't busy, then there would be no point talking to you. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, <laughs> true, true, true. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Odd Numbers podcast with me, Jack Siggs, and my guest, Rada Mida. For more on what we're up to, you can check out our Instagram, which is at underscore odd numbers, or our website, oddnumbersmusic.co.uk. Thanks also to Sustraparazzi for the music, which is taken from novelists, Weds in Cali. I'll catch you in a couple of weeks.